Welcome to In The Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will lose a lot of money due to the OnlyFans content policy changes. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover some real news, and our main review is Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds. James, can I ask you a non-film-related question? Yes. Before we begin. bit random, but how many... Rolls of toilet roll, do you think, is a reasonable amount to get through in, in, in a week? To be completely open and honest with you, I don't know how many I get through in a week. I, I buy a load, like a pack of 32, stack some of those in the bathroom, some of them are in the cupboard, and just, just refill the necessary. It's not something to keep track of, is what I'm saying. See, I, I don't either, and that's part of the problem. I'm in the same boat. I'll buy them in, in weird variety packs sometimes i'll buy nine sometimes i'll buy 12 16 24 depends what's on offer and i too don't track it but i think on average my partner insists that i must insist we go through it's not just me 10 rolls a week does that seem like a lot she thinks it's ridiculous and i just i it's multi-purpose blowing your nose maybe there's been a spillage and you've no kitchen roll 10 a week is more than one a day though that sounds like a lot I, th- I think it might be to do with me buying the cheap stuff, which just perishes easily. When you go cheap and you think, oh, that's cheap, you do immediately realise how cheap it is. Same for kitchen roll. You immediately realise this isn't as was absorbent, and the ads that talk about absorbent kitchen roll are telling the truth. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Recent convert to kitchen roll, by the way, never really saw the purpose. thought, hang on, you're trying to make me double buy here. I've got, I've got toilet roll. Why do I need this? But you're right. Not the same absorbency factor. I am really sorry for bringing this up, but um, just a pressing issue in my household, and I just, I just wanted your opinion. But I've still not got an answer. Oh, in fact, no, I did. You said it was excessive. Fair enough. You agree with it? What visual media have you absorbed into your eyes this week? Deceit, a brand new Channel Four crime drama that is uh, based on the real life investigation into the 1992 murder of Rachel Nickel. I don't recall this, do you? I think we were definitely too young to be aware of things like that. See, that that's what I thought, because, yeah, I was seven years old, so it's not a surprise I don't remember it. But my partner does. As soon as this came on and it was revealed, this is what I spoke, she was like, oh, my God! My mum was terrified to leave the house. She wouldn't stop going on about it, which is a bit irresponsible around a child. Her mum doesn't listen to the podcast, it's fine. It's, it's truly horrific what happened. This woman was raped and murdered in a park in broad daylight and found with her two-year-old son clutching at a lifeless body. That is the stuff of nightmares. It dominated headlines at the time, and now we've got this dramatisation of what really went on in the background of this police investigation. What makes this feel a bit different and separates it from the standard crime drama is that the police already have a suspect in the crosshairs, and they've set up this quite controversial undercover honey trap operation to try and coax a confession out of him. The woman they choose to do this, she's just come off a very highly successful drug sting and she's referred to Lizzie James. They don't use her real officer's name for privacy purposes. I don't think she wants this dredging back up again. She's played by Neve Algar. She was previously seen in Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves, which you highly recommended. 
she's tasked with communicating with the suspected killer and that's through a series of letters to establish a relationship with him and she shares violent sexual fantasies to try and drive this beast within him the escalation of these interactions is what i thought were really well in this each episode we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger in terms of oh shit she's gonna have to get even deeper into this man's world and it, it really built the tension well it didn't feel like your stereotypical crime drama, and that is always a plus point for me because I've seen a lot of them. It's more of a let's look at the psychological impact that it's had on this woman rather than being about the killer or the crime itself. It is quite grim in tone. There's very little brevity to proceedings, but it does fully immerse you in this obsessive journey of a woman fighting against the gender politics of the time to really make a mark where she can to bring this guy down and how it eventually plays out for all parties involved. I will say, because I know it's a bit of a turn-off for some people, and it is rife at the minute, that the gender politics in this is mentioned offhandedly about four times. It doesn't ram it down your throat. Probably an obvious thing to say, but knowing nothing about this story, I was truly gripped and it had a fair few shocks in there for me. So I'd recommend do not Google the outcome of the case in advance. Very captivating stuff that's elevated by a really fine lead performance. I very much enjoyed this. And that's on Channel 4? Yes, Deceit. Okay. What else have you been watching? Boss Level. I'd heard about this maybe six months ago. It premiered on Hulu, which is a network or channel, whatever your preferences in the US. And it received quite favourable reviews. And now it's been dumped on Amazon Prime, likely to disappear off the home banner in a week or two. And that is a crying shame because it's really quite good. In terms of what it's about, I suppose, imagine if Palm Springs had a violent sequel minus a romance and they replaced J.K. Simmons and Andy Samberg with Frank Grillo and Mel Gibson. And this is probably what it would look like. So it's, it's another time loop film again, and it's a special forces agent played by Grillo. He lives, dies and repeats each day whilst leaving a pile of bodies in his wake as he's trying to figure out who is responsible for inserting him into this situation that he finds himself in. And I did think, especially that Free Guy is a bit like this, I, I thought I'm going to be really weary of this genre at this point because I've, I think we've done about five or six films throughout the existence of this podcast, which is less than 18 months so it's it's a lot but as i say i'd heard positive things and i thought give it a go they don't do anything groundbreaking but what they do do is provide a really solid and fun action thriller and there's a bit of comedy thrown in there too which i did not foresee there is one joke that wears a little thin so he's got a bunch of assassins that are after him all the time and there's one of them who kills frank grillo repeatedly by cutting his head off and each time she signs off to the death with this catchphrase which is i am gwen yin and gwen yin has done this quite funny once but they do it three too many times towards the end and it, it, that's probably my only complaint Getting rid of that joke, the comedy works really well in this. It's far funnier than the poster art or plot would lead you to believe. It's not the only film we'll talk about this week that invokes video game tropes, but unlike Free Guy, which we will come on to, rather than being intrinsic to the world it exists in, this is just the video gameness is, is a metaphor for the scenario that he finds himself in. He's living a video game, dying with each run through, then respawning and trying to progress further than he did the last time. And Frank Grillo, as an actor, I don't think I've seen him in anything other than the second Purge film, 
And I thought he was really flat in that. But he is leading man material in this. He just carries it so well. And that was quite a nice thing to stumble upon for me because I just thought he was a bad actor. But he's got some real charisma about him. So I was dead wrong. As for the rest of the cast, Naomi Watts is in this. I told you about this last week, didn't I? And you were like, oh God, her career's really gone downhill, hasn't it? And I, I did think it was an odd choice for her to appear in this, but she sports an English accent, which feels like a purposeful ploy to insist that she isn't phoning it in. Mel Gibson is the villain in this. His previous behaviour, forgetting about that, it's really good to see him again. I'm, I'm not saying I forgive him, but he's just very watchable and I have always liked him as an actor. One thing I do want to make a point of is for a film that probably cost a fraction of the budget of a film like Free Guy, you do not notice that at all. The action is really well shot. And I would argue that because the CGI is used sparingly, this, I think, will hold up better out of the two films as the years go on. This was a really, really solid film that took me by complete surprise. It's it's gory, it's funny, it's violent, but it's not just mindless action. There's a heart to it as well, which you don't see coming. And there is a lot of stuff, some of which we review on this podcast, that's so middle of the road and instantly forgettable. For me, this completely surpassed that. It's not without flaws, but it is a crowd pleaser of a film and I highly recommend it. I will have to watch that then. It's not been dumped on Amazon Prime, it seems. It's actually good. Exactly. So, yeah, give it a go. James, what about you? What have you been watching this week? On Apple TV, Mr. Corman. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the writer-director, and he's a teacher who feels a bit sad. He's wondering if he's reached his potential in life. Malaise. It's about malaise. Not a lot happens, and it's difficult to describe because of that. For example, Mr. Coleman goes to a bar and talks to a girl, woman, and goes back to her place. They talk about things. It turns into an argument and he gets punched. In another episode, he has a panic attack and goes to his friend's house. They don't have a weighted blanket, so his friend lies on top of him as a weighted blanket. Only three episodes have been released at time of recording. And I think what it's building to is Mr. Coleman, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, realising that he has a higher calling, all that he can appreciate what he has in life and life isn't that bad like soul that was the message of soul if you remember the dialogue sometimes sounds like it's written dialogue it doesn't sound quite natural unlike say zola from last week where it all felt completely natural this is a bit stilted but it's not awful joseph gordon levitt is charming or not if you hate him I realise I'm not selling this at all, but I am enjoying it. If you can relate to the character, I think you can understand what it's trying to get across. However, I do understand some of the negative reviews it's had. It's had quite middling reviews where the negative reviews say that it's boring, nothing happens, there isn't really a lot of comedy. That's true, but it's more about the mood that he's trying to get across, the mood of this character's life. I am in the Joseph Gordon-Levitt camp. I like him, so I think... You've convinced me enough to want to give it a go. Did you see Don John? I did, and that was his previous directorial. Was it his debut? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember being that enamoured with it. I think I just thought it was all right. There's a scene in Don John where he sings along to music in a car, and there's an identical scene in Mr. Corbin as well. I wonder if he's just making that his thing, just singing along to music in a car awkwardly. Very good. What else have you been watching? The White Lotus, now available in the UK on Now TV. Believe the hype. It's that good. It's about rich people in a Hawaiian resort and tensions build, events spiral, 
farcically out of control. There's a newly married couple on the honeymoon, a rich family with two kids and their friends. The kids don't really get on. The man isn't the high salary earner, so he has struggled coming to terms with that. I feel like you're describing the plot of old so far. Yes, very similar, yeah. There's a woman there who's there to scatter her mother's ashes, and she's going through some trauma of losing her mother. They all have demands, and the hotel manager has to keep up with them without going mad. It's a satire of wealth and privilege, but it's HBO, not Netflix, so it doesn't go too hard with the message, ripping your jaw open and forcing it down your throat like Godzilla shooting radioactive rays into your face. The dialogue is so sharp and so funny. They don't do random quips. It's just characters being witty to each other in a natural way. That's very funny that I won't try and give an example of because it'll just be odd. Jennifer Coolidge is the woman who's there to scatter her mother's ashes. Maybe best known to our generation as Stifler's mum in American Pie, the original MILF. She's getting a lot of praise for it. Again, deserved. She's losing her mind a bit and does odd things like trying to force a hairpin onto her head by just pressing it on her head and it falls off. She doesn't really understand why. Or throwing her mother's urn down like it's nothing in front of people and everyone reacts in shock. There's this music as well that's very unique. It's like windpipe music. It beats through the whole thing and that keeps the tension up and gives you this sense that everyone's getting more and more wound up. Something's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. Another standout for me is Murray Bartlett, who I had not heard of before. He plays the hotel manager, so he gets to interact with all these different characters. He's an Australian actor. And he's the one that starts to get out of control. So he's having to be polite to the guests, but then he'll go off to the staff or into his office and show what he really thinks. He's very entertaining. and he has some of the best lines and one of two of the most memorable scenes that I won't spoil. So you must watch it. You have to watch it. I'm sure this will end up in my top TV list of the year. It was that good. I really liked it. I have heard a lot of good things and I have been anticipating this quite a lot. So fear not. I think we may have one very similar TV show on our list come the end of the year. That's The White Lotus on Now TV. Awesome stuff. James, I wanted to try a new section this week with you, but would you rather do real news first or shall I just dig into it? We can do this section, new section first. We haven't got a jingle. I've not decided on the section title. So for now, it's just called, originally, Guess That Film. Yeah. So I'm going to give you some IMDb user reviews of a film, and your mission is to deduce what that said film is. One review will be positive, the other will be negative. Here's some rules, right? It will be a film that we have reviewed as a main review on this podcast. So you already have a 1 in 65 chance of getting it right. I'm still debating this one. I think I'm going to allow you to look at our podcast feed to remind yourself of what these men reviews are. If you don't get it right straight off the bat, which I really hope you don't because it will make this quite boring, you can proceed to ask me a combination of either five clues or questions. So if you go for a question, you're in control of what you ask me, naturally. If it's a clue, it could be extremely helpful or it could be a booby clue, which just makes you confused. Is that all clear? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So the pressure is on me here, not just to answer the questions, but also to provide some sort of witty and sending content around the answers I give as well. So it's not too dry. 
I'm the one answering your questions. No, I'm at, you are, well, you're asking the quiz questions. So you don't get it. <laughs> no, I do, no, I do get it. I do get I'm saying, if you give the MDB review, if I just say the name of a film and then nothing else, that's just boring, isn't it? So I need, to, I need to do a bit more. Yeah, you need to ask me questions. You thought it was the other way around, didn't you? No, I didn't. All right, okay. So you did get it, right? Well, it's got off to a flying start already. <laughs> let's, let's just, let's just start, start. This is your negative review. Title, what a mess. This is the kind of movie that gets made when no one really wants to make it. Yikes. The action sequences are incoherent. The storyline was totally indecipherable, unless you watch it with an annoying person who tells you what happened in the book. Most of the casting is regrettable. The dramatic moments are totally lost in the midst of abject confusion. Skip this. Okay, positive review. Title, there is one good reason I can rate this movie 10 stars. Before I dig into this, I'm just going to let you know, this is a weird review, all right? I loved the movie because I saw it as a child without expecting anything at all. A child whose heroes were on the screen. Like that time you saw Santa Claus on the TV. It was severely flawed on not being able to make audience feel what they should feel on each situation by developing an extremely superficial, fast-paced tornado of a confusing, altered plot. But I watched it with my inner child, the one who doesn't judge if it's father who puts the beard on and the red hat to give me presents. This movie is a gift. I'm grateful for it. I'll I'll watch it happily until I get the remake. Guess that film. Is it Mulan? It's not Mulan. Okay, can I have a hint, please? You've not thought you haven't pre-prepared hints and quite hints for each thing. No, I thought I could do it just off the cuff and oh, now right. I'm struggling. Okay. Okay, wait, 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 wait. In the time that you've tried to think of a question, I've got a second guess. Artemis Fowl. Right. Well, this has been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was Artemis Fowl. Is this because it's one of the only things that was for kids that was based on a series of books? And I mentioned a book before in one of the reviews. The book was was a good hint, and it being a mess. We've watched loads of films that are a mess. But I'm looking through our, our feed as well, so that's that's helping me out quite a lot as well. So that, that really didn't go as planned. Um, maybe you can prepare one for me next week and probably not make it so obvious, eh? There was only one film. Well, I expected it to drag out because you were going to ask me five questions or for clues, but it didn't come to that. <laughs> I thought you were right. Oh, oh, right. I thought you had like five, at least five. Oh, God, no, we'd, we'd be done in like six episodes, wouldn't we? If I rinsed the entirety of our back catalogue with five films a time. I want to drag this out every episode. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I proposed a format this week. Maybe it was a complete and utter failure. You take what you will from this and adapt it if you want and come back to me next week with a reinvented version of this section. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. We've got a release date for Fast and Furious Ten. Say what? According to dead. Yep, we have. According to Deadline.com, Universal has set a release date of April seventh, two thousand and twenty-three for Fast and Furious Ten. There is no title 
but Vin Diesel is expected to announce it at some point in the future on social. They just say social, but they mean social media. And there's no other casting or plotline details. It's going to be the same cast, isn't it? I've got an idea for a title. Furious has got I-O in it. Right. So just have that styled as a 10. Oh, okay. So it's fast and for Tenos. I feel like if they've got two years to make this film, there's far more attention and detail gone into that thought than there will be the script. Yeah. If they do that now as well, sue them. What news have you got? Bit of a weird one. So next week, I'll be reviewing the documentary Val, which is all about actor Val Kilmer and his life. But there was a news story this week about the fact that he had throat cancer in 2014. He had surgery and he's lost his voice completely. So much so that in the film, the narration is provided by his son because he's unable to speak. He does speak in the film, but it's very hard to understand him and you can see why he's made the decision. So working with another company, he has had them recreate his voice using AI and there's the potential that there'll be another release of this film that will feature his voice. Now, I thought this was very interesting because I think ethically, this is all completely fine. Val Kilmer has been along for the ride. He's supported this initiative. You may have well asked for it. But I don't know if you're aware, there is another film that's come out this year. I don't think it's out in the UK yet, but it's called Roadrunner. And it's about Anthony Bourdain. Are you familiar with him? Is he the famous chef? Yes, and he has a lot of travel food-related shows that he's done, which are really, really awesome shows. If you want to get more of an understanding of different parts of the world, they're really insightful. I think one of the best ones is Parts Unknown, and that's available on Netflix. Anyway, he killed himself a few years ago, and this documentary covers that along with many other aspects of his life. And it's caused a bit of a stir because it was revealed that they've used AI to have him narrate over portions of the documentary. And I just thought it was interesting as to, like I said, the ethics behind this. Where is the line drawn? Because as far as I'm aware, they use excerpts from like a notebook that he wrote. So it's his words, but he never actually spoke them. I personally think that is fine. If they just manufactured him saying something that was not something that he thought or wrote down, I think that's entirely different. But how how troublesome do you think this is? Because obviously it could be abuse. You've seen what's happened with deep fakes and such. First, I'm hearing of this and I'm quite troubled because it sounds like they're trying to pass it off as him as though he's not dead. They, they don't draw any attention to the fact that they've done this. It's only been revealed after it's released as well. So it's not like you are hearing the words of Anthony Bourdain through an artificially intelligent created machine or whatever. It, it's just not referred to. Directors come out afterwards and told everyone. Right. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. Because you would watch that and think, oh, when was this recorded? He must have recorded this before. But then it's just deceitful. I don't like it. The Val Kilmer thing, what they've done, where they've had his son do it, is very good and poetic. But this, I'm just, I'm not keen on that. It's like having digital recreations of dead actors, like Mm. Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. Now, when you see it on screen, you know it's fake. You just have to try and accept it. They're not actually trying to make you believe that a de-aged Carrie Fisher filmed that scene. I, don't, I think she was actually still alive at that point anyway. The, the point stands. Peter Cushing is a better example. We know that he is no longer alive, whereas they're not actually trying to make you think that someone's alive, and I think that's what this AI voice thing does. So it's a no from me. 
I'm I'm still torn. I think if they are not butchering, bastardizing, or inventing things for him to say, it is actually his words in some form. I think it's a bit more acceptable. But I understand what you mean. It, it is an abuse of somebody who has passed away. It's a weird one. I'm sure it won't be the only example of this that we see either as technology grows. But just thought that was quite an interesting one. It is interesting. So we've got the deep fakes which look better than the CGI models of characters, which has been proven on YouTube. AI voices and the holograms on stage of dead performers, like the two-pack one was the best example. So are we going to have... That didn't happen. He's still alive. You know he's still alive. It wasn't a hologram. I agree. So you'll have a, ho- a better hologram live on stage with an AI voice, like reading out The Guardian from that day with an AI voice. Would it be right for us to... Take an interview with Ryan Reynolds from a written website like Deadline.com. Record us asking the questions and then have Ryan Reynolds' AI voice read out the answers to the questions as though it was our interview. I think it's an absolutely fantastic way to boost listenership, so we should consider it. No, that wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. Do you have any other news? No, that's it. I think we've discussed that for long enough, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which means we only use two news articles this week. So why now don't we discuss three, Guy? Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. Still this new fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Free Guy. I thought I had everything I needed, but then I met her. Everybody down! Everybody except you. Me? It's just a... Oh, please, I have a cold fist. There is something inside you, guy. I don't want something inside me. I expected you to just follow the rules, but you are so much more than that. Put these on. Okay. Fine. I do. Oh, my God! The story of a man caught in an endless loop of repetitive existence, seeing the same people, not allowed to go beyond set boundaries, never questioning the bigger authority. It's lockdown, the movie. No, it's life, the movie. It's life. That's just life. A bank teller discovers he's actually an NPC inside a brutal open-world video game. Non-playable character. That's what NPC means. And I think it is right to clarify, because not everyone's going to know that, which is something I'll discuss later on. Daniel, what did you think of Free Guy? I am a casual Ryan Reynolds fan. By no means am I diehard, but he's always reliable, I feel, when it comes to comedy, even if he's in a bad comedy. The man defies science. He's aged beautifully in that he hasn't aged at all. I don't know why I'm drawing attention to that. It's just I find it fascinating, and that's why I like seeing him in films. Just to see, as he aged, he must have aged now. He's not. I'm always game, game, for watching anything he's in. This is an original concept, so far as I know. Nobody's attempted to make a film set in a video game world in which a non-playable character is the protagonist. And given that, I am, I would consider, quite an avid gamer. This maybe should be my sort of thing. So on paper, I'm curious already. The only warning sign going into this was that I knew it was directed by Sean Levy, who I am weirdly too familiar with because I worked in Blockbuster Video, and some of his films were the only ones that we could play during working hours that wasn't the endless trailer reel of the same five films. And he did films like Just Married, Cheaper by the Dozen, The Pink Panther remake, 
just really distinctly average, if not outright bad films. So I thought, oh, not expecting too much of this. He has since directed quite a lot of episodes of Strange Things, so I'll give him credit for that. But this was perfectly watchable, if not enjoyable. There's entertaining moments to it. I think it's very well paced. I was never clock watching, as I was with last week's main review. The action is in abundance, but because the video game environment is how it looks, I can't say I was that drawn into it. It has to use quite a lot of CGI because of the story it's trying to tell and the world it's setting. I do get that, but some bits looked ropier than a lot of modern video games. And they do this thing where you see the world through the eyes of the people who exist in it, and that's real-world looking with some odd stuff going on, but you also see it from the video gamer's perspective, and that's got a more pixelated aesthetic to it, which you'd associate with video games. And that irritated me far more than it should have done, because I was left just thinking, just commit to the video game look with computer-generated characters, and then some of the action maybe wouldn't look as jarringly out of place. If I ignore that frustration, if anything, it was more the comedy, the characters and the performances, which kept my attention. And and the comedy is consistent. It's not exceptional, but I did laugh at a few things. I also think this could be one of those films where it rewards you with multiple viewings because there's a lot of background activity in this film that you might miss. There's one bit where Ryan Reynolds is in shot and in the background there's an NPC running up against a wall and freezing and glitching and that was quite nice little background thing to see and there's loads of little bits like that my standout funny moment was Channing Tatum's cameo later on in the film where it cuts between him in the video game and then this geek living at home with his mum who is controlling his character that was brilliant I loved all that as for the main cast Ryan Reynolds rather than repeat his sassy sharp-tongued roles where he's a bit of a dick he is very charming and likable in this his friend aptly named Buddy played by Lil Rel Howery. He has some nice comedic moments too. Jodie Comer in this is awesome. I think for her first blockbuster role, she completely holds her own against Reynolds and it comes across very effortless and natural, which was nice to see because I was rooting for her. The villain, Antoine, played by Taika Waititi, he's he's very over the top and a bit of a caricature, but it worked with the tone of the film, despite the fact that the comic relief from him was a bit hit and miss in places. Not all of that worked. The plot was interesting enough. There's more meat to this than something like Suicide Squad from The Suicide Squad from a few weeks ago. And I liked how they had these two parallel stories, one in the real world, one in the game world, and how they got them to converge. But it does play out exactly as you would probably predict. There is some preachy stuff in this about how terrible we are as a society and it lazily approaches the topic of violence in video games and how problematic it is, but it isn't, again, overdone, so I didn't mind it too much. I am really annoyed that the trailer, which I was forced to watch because I went to the cinema watching Suicide Squad, it gives away something that happens in the final 10 minutes and it's made such a deal out of in the trailer that you remember it and you're waiting for that moment to come up So that was really disappointing for me. However, overall, it's popcorn entertainment. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't regret watching it. I enjoyed it whilst it was on. I don't think I'll be remembering this come the end of year review episode, though. But James, what about you? Once again, refreshing to see something that has a big budget, but it's not part of the franchise, not building to anything else. It's just there to entertain you for two hours or less. The plot is about Ryan Reynolds becoming self-aware and wanting to change his world. But the real plot 
is the two programmers, one played by Jody Kuma, trying to prove that their original game code has been stolen by Taiki Watiti. And Guy, Ryan Reynolds, is drawn into that. I liked that plot, which isn't mentioned in, in the trailer. You wouldn't expect it to be so much about that. There was something in the real world that I could care about. Can these two programmers prove that their game was stolen? Will Guy become free? Those stories work nicely together. I thought the first half an hour was slow and I didn't know if I would like it at all. But the reason for that, which you've already said, is that the trailer gives way too much away. The trailer summarizes the first two acts and gives you the Braveheart style speech, which is very near the end. And it sets up the ending stakes in the trailer. So all the stuff with Guy slowly realizing he's in a game and going through the day loop. I was thinking, come on, let's let's go on with it. He's going to realize he's in a game. Let's just move on. Which was a shame because it was all good world building and setup. Just like Jungle Cruise from two weeks ago, it's an inoffensive film for all the family, which is not to say it's a children's film. It's just for all ages. So I agree with you on that. It's like the Truman Show meets the Lego movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. Two great films. It's not as good as either of those, but it is still good. It's not very deep. It's not trying to be deep. But the theme of let's get out of our routine and let's find meaning for ourselves in our own way. That's always nice to see. It's a nice theme. Ryan Reynolds. I'm in the same spot as you, I think, with Ryan Reynolds. Some people love him and eat up everything that he says and does. But I just enjoy his acting. He's good in this and he's good at doing comedy, but he does the sentimental side of it as well when he has to do the one-to-ones with Millie slash Molotov girl. That's all good as well because he is so sincere, likable and charismatic and that all comes through. But is he just playing himself? These two other game programmers, that's Jodie Kuma, Millie and Joe Keery, Keys, I felt they were pretty generic I wasn't into their characters that, that much. I like the story, but they were just quite generic people. Maybe that was a conscious choice to show they're just every man and woman. I just thought they were a bit vanilla. Taiki Waititi, as you've said, comedy over the top, not too over the top for me. I think you needed someone to come in and do that repulsive, evil CEO character. He's like Rob McElhenney in Mythic Quest, but without the warmth and redemption. Side note, Is Taiki Waititi the first actor since Sean Connery to be allowed to do his own non-British or American accent in all of his roles? Yeah, good point. He he does, doesn't he? Does he in Jojo Rabbit? Not seen it. Mm, Don't think he does in that. He's German. Does he do do a comedy German accent? I think so from memory. But um, I, I know what you're saying. And yes, he does appear to be able to do that. So and good on him. Nicole Kidman's over there thinking, why have I been doing American or British the whole time? I've just been doing my own Australian accent. I know Taiki Waititi's from New Zealand. His agent needs a lot of credit. The amount of stuff that he's done this year, he's got a new TV series called Reservation Dogs, which is getting loads of acclaim. This, Thor Love and Thunder, is due out. Well, he's got, he's shacked up with Rita Ora. He's having a mint year. He's doing very well. I don't think his agent's responsible for getting it together with Rita Ora, but you know what I'm saying. And Suicide Squad. I missed that one out. Sorry. It's got it all. And he is good. He is that good, though. It's probably sold his soul, though. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, free guy, it's a good old, have a good time, laugh, be sentimental, be entertained. How could anyone disagree with that? I think that's why the audience rating is so high. It's agreeable entertainment. 
Oh, at long last, James. We've agreed on something again. Yep. Right, let's get down to it. Give it a score out of 10. On three. One, two, three. 6.5. We're on the same. Line, yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. We we are, actually, because I thought, mm, six is too low. I'll say seven, but should I just say 6.5? Just to pick up on your point about the visuals, I was thinking about that as well. The more pixely version that you're talking about, are you talking about the view that they see when the game is on their computer screens? Yes. I think if you did the whole film like that, it would be more slated animated film. It Well, one or the other. So do that or have what they see on the screen be what we see in the film. I get why they didn't do it that way, because it was meant to be, well, it feels real to them, and that's why it looks different, but I just found it disorientating. I, I didn't like it. I thought, have one consistently seen in both worlds. Okay, I see. It worked for me. Maybe that's the 0.5 difference between us. <laughs> Did you pick up on the reference to their live? The drunk. Two references, yes, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. So Ryan Reynolds puts these glasses on, and when he wears the glasses, he sees the world as it really is, which is what happens in They Live. And then later on, they half-quote the famous line, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum. And when they quoted that line, that made me think, ah, yes, they are referencing it, and they're telling you that they're referencing it with the glasses. That, That went completely over my head because I've never seen They Live. Is that a cinematic crime? Do I need to get it sorted? Uh, yeah, I think you do. You do, especially especially in today's this day and age. Yeah, you need to watch it. I just watched the trailer on YouTube. So, <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper gets some glasses, and when he puts the glasses on, he sees number one that there are aliens walking around pretending to be humans, and that all advertising and media that you see has hidden messages asking you to obey and be compliant with what's happening. So everyone in the world is consuming this propaganda without realising, and they don't see that there are aliens among us. But yeah, when he's got the glasses on and they're going back and forth, I just thought, oh, this this is exactly like they live. Can I not disagree with something that you said I said? But (laughs) does that make any sense? You said that I said this is a family film, an all-round family film. I don't think I did, but I agree-ish because I don't want this to be an ageist sweeping statement, but for what is a family-ish film, I really don't expect many people over the age of 60 to really understand a very good amount of what's going on in this film. And I did just before we recorded read an article where the director's talking about how they made it accessible and how it was kind of a tough balancing act, but it's for all the ages. I don't think I agree with that. I don't think they do a good job of explaining the mechanics of online multiplayer games. But I do understand that they would have a very hard time of, like I said, balancing that because if you're a gamer, you'd be like, oh, no, all this, why are you telling me? Do you know what I mean? Let's face it, this isn't geared at the over 60s demographic, but I couldn't help thinking my dad watching this film, a guy who has the call and message icons duplicated on his mobile phone home screen about seven times. And the last time I had a conversation with him, he asked me what I was doing. And I said, oh, I've been playing the Tomb Raider trilogy. And he was like, oh, do you not need to grow up? That guy will not understand half of what is going on in this film. I don't think they should spoon feed them. They've obviously ignored that portion of people. And it's not me, so I'm not offended. But I just wanted to point that out and see if you agreed. I don't agree. You don't agree? I think it does enough. I think as seasoned online gamers 
we might watch it and think about all the details that are going on. But from the perspective of someone that knows nothing, I think it would make sense because they've probably seen Tron for one, which is sort of the same thing. But it just says online games exist. When you play them, you have an avatar, you walk around, you can connect or disconnect just like you do with any internet thing. And I think that's all it needs to do. The existence of non-playable characters, I think it explains that they're basically not real people. And it's an AI that gets self-aware, which is not a new idea to 60-year-olds. It's more the terminology. I know that they will say non-playable character or something, but there's talk about code and how that's input in the game and how that's managed. I understand it because I have basic knowledge of this stuff. And like I say, it's really hard to sort this issue out for both sets of people. You can't without it seeming really pandering and like, oh my God, need that. I'm going to test this. When it comes out on streaming, I'm going to watch this with my dad. And when it's no longer a talking point and it's irrelevant, I will let you know what he thinks. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong to have issues. I'm saying we just have different opinions and that's fine. That's fine. Is it? There was something that I think was wrong, which is that when you go into an online game, let's say Grand Theft Auto Online, everyone isn't playing together in the same server or same room. There's 40 people playing in one server and the people in another server are completely unrelated. So the free guy idea just doesn't make any sense if you were to really think about it as it being a real online game. Free guy, if he was an actual real AI, he'd only be able to be in one game server or room at a time. And only the people in that server would actually see him and experience him. Maybe that's what's happening, but that's not addressed, which is fine because you just can't get into the details of that. It's fine. I'm not saying it's criticism, but that's one thing where they've just simplified it because why bother getting into that? Multiple versions of him because he's in <laughs> that NPC that is in the game would be in every server of the game. So, either if this was real, he's doing different things as a self aware AI in all the different hundreds of game servers. You're completely right. Yeah. Or he only exists in one server. Film just doesn't deal with that, which is fine. Yeah. God, we went deeper on this than I was expecting. Because it is an interesting concept. Would you recommend Free Guy? Yes. James, what about you? Well, despite going into it, thinking that it was a Finnish film following the life of a man called Freeg, called Freeg Eye, yes, I would recommend it. <laughs> oh, James. Spoilers? Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. It is revealed that, yes, evil CEO of Tsunami Games, Taiki Waititi, did steal the original code for the more peaceful game. Keys and Millie launch their indie game. It becomes very successful. Guy builds a new life of freedom within that game. So do all the other characters. The Free City game starts to go down in popularity. And it is revealed that Keys wrote Guy in a way that he would be attracted to Millie because Keys is attracted to Millie and Keys and Millie get together. Can I ask you what you thought about that development in particular? Because that love story felt completely unearned to me. It was just really underdeveloped. They do sprinkle in hints towards something between them, but it's not very well written into the script and I just don't feel that it earned it. What did you think of that? I agree. It's only hinted at and then it's 
a big payoff at the end when they hug in the middle of the street so it wasn't quite and and unrealistic because spending that much time together he would have told how he feels and he would have been friend zoned way before this point already or they've spent so much time together she might not have pursued anything but there would already be something reciprocally there with her and there isn't it's very much a friendship for her, like you say, and there's no hint towards that. And immediately when it's, oh, hasn't he done something sweet for you with this game? She's like, right, yeah, no, want to get with him now. It's too sudden. It's too yeah. sudden. Yeah. How can she have absolutely no idea that he likes her? So I didn't buy into that, but I heard on the DL, the internet, that this was a reworked ending. Originally, they were going to have Guy and Millie together in the game. But then they thought, oh, this doesn't really work. So they did this ending. And despite that, I've just slagged it off. I'm glad they made that choice. I think it's a better ending, although not as emotionally resonant as it could have been with that. But it just wouldn't work. It doesn't make sense. I think the age difference is quite big there, isn't it? Between Yeah, but you can't tell, can you? No. Yeah, he's four, isn't he? And she's in her 20s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I meant the actors, but. Yeah, I think you knew that you and you knew that's what I meant, but you were joking anyway, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Just being yeah. A dick. Let's talk about the Avengers and Star Wars references then. Big pop from the live audience in the cinema when Ryan Reynolds uses Captain America's shield to block an attack, uses a Hulk fist, and then he uses a lightsaber to hit the big muscly guy. Lightsaber does no damage though. When you first said that, I wondered what you were on about. Immediately, I've now remembered that bit and. That's how much it affected me. I, d- I just thought nothing of it, to be honest. Thought, oh, there you go. Quite a funny moment when Chris Evans pops up. And it's like, what the? Do you really give, give a toss about that? You? I laughed. I smiled. I liked it. What I did immediately start thinking about, which is obvious, maybe doesn't even need pointing out, is that the reason that those references are able to go in there is because it was a 20th century Fox film. Since then, Disney's bought 20th century Fox so they can legally put that content in including the music right yeah didn't even think about that if if you can overexpose every disney property in any film for any reason why wouldn't you i did like it though because in fortnite i don't play fortnite i do not play fortnite but in fortnite they do tie-ins so they'll have like a star wars skin or an avengers skin so it did actually fit very well what they could have done, though, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, have him with Captain America's shield and a lightsaber at the same time. That would have been pretty cool, yeah. There's always a sequel, which they're already interested in, aren't they? Yep, they are, yeah. Kind of blows what you said out of the water at the beginning. <laughs> it's nice to see a fresh and original film that's not based on a soon-will-be-a-franchise. <laughs> yeah, and that happened with The Tomorrow War as well, where I said, this oh, yeah. it ends here, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the article was out the next day about the sequel. You mentioned how it draws on real-world gaming with that stuff, with the properties and how they're, they're used in games and things like that. And the other thing which I thought was definitely accidental, but noticeable to me, was if you are into gaming, there's been a bit of a scandal recently with um, Blizzard Activision, a company or studio that makes games, and they've had a lot of mistreating employees and sexual harassment claims and people going on strike and stuff like that. And I thought it was quite timely to have Taika Waititi be such a reprehensible person who mistreats his employees. 
thought it, it just could not be timed any better with what's going on in the video game industry at the minute. So that was quite a nice, as I say, probably accidental correlation. But yeah, I did appreciate it that it was there. It's good. Yeah, I didn't notice that the development crunch that always comes up with big releases. At the end, Taika Waititi says, I'll handle this. I'll do something to beat Free Guy. And I thought he's going to enter the game. He's going to go into the game as his ridiculously overpowered customized character and fight Free Guy. And he'll do a Ryan Reynolds versus Taika Waititi fight. But then he doesn't, and it's the buff guy. Did you think that he was going to go into the game as well? I didn't purely because I'd seen that bit in the trailer. And I think I've not given it credit for not being as formulaic as it could have been if they had done that. Maybe I was expecting that because that is exactly what they do in Mythic Quest, if you remember. Rob McKelly says, I'm sick of this guy. I'm going to fight him myself. Brilliant series. I'm glad it's got two mentions on this episode because I'm sure people have forgotten about it. Go and watch Mythic Quest, Apple TV. It's brilliant. That's our final thoughts on Free Guy. Go and watch Mythic Quest. (laughs) Next week, we're reviewing Reminisce, starring Hugh Jackman. Which I hadn't even heard of until you brought it up last week. It's a Nolan-esque science fiction thriller about going into people's minds. Only available in cinemas, isn't it? So if you want to prepare for next week's episode. Yes, it is. It's also on HBO Max in the US of A. If you're fortunate enough to have that service, which we are not. Not better about it at all. Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review and rating on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us at In The Hours Podcast on Instagram. James, do you have any words of wisdom for our audience this week? Don't fall in love with game characters. Do you want to expand that to any animated characters? Game character. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll expand it. Only romance real people in the real world. I was just thinking it was thematically linked to the review, obviously, but I think it's dangerous to leave it as an option for people.